but there you go. But we have loved this uh, series that we've been doing as well. We're doing a series uh, um, over January, No Well-Worn Paths. And uh, I think it's been a great series, a great way to go into the new year. Really focusing on characters uh, in the Bible who faced no well-worn paths. But you know, the more I've thought about it, the more it occurs to me that we often create our own well-worn paths, don't we? Our own, we're, we're creatures of habit. I mean, for most of you, just to be here today, you followed a well-worn path because you do this every Sunday. You get in the car, autopilot, go to church, you arrive at Alto College, and here we go. It's a, it's a no well-worn path, and, and, and our lives are full of well-worn paths like that. The fact is, most of you get up at the same time every day. Some of you are coffee people before breakfast, some are tea, all right? But whatever it is, it's what you do, right? Some are porridge, some are toast. Uh, some of us are shower in the morning, some of us are shower in the evening, some of us just may need to shower more, but that's another story. <laughs> but it's what we do, where we work, what we spend our money on, what we do with our free time, all well-worn paths. It's life. Uh, and of course, some well-worn paths aren't helpful. Uh, I have a particular one that leads me directly to, the, to, 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 to where the biscuits are at home. It's a well-worn path. Just the other day, I went to get an apple, something healthy, and found myself in front of the biscuit package. And <laughs> thought, oh, I've seen I'm here, okay. Some well-worn paths aren't helpful, but hey, they're everywhere, which is one reason why I find the Bible fun to read, because, because in it we see again and again how, how God comes to very ordinary people, like you and me, people who are walking well-worn paths, and he comes and he interrupts, like he did the meeting, he interrupts, and he throws a hand grenade in sometimes and blows those well-worn paths away. It's what he does. And we see it again and again, even in the series that we've done. I mean, on our first Sunday, Matt uh, talked about this person here. And we all know about Mary. And, uh, and her life, if you think about it, was a very well-worn path before the angel turned up. You know, very, very uh, predictable, very domestic. Even her plans were pretty predictable. You know, I'm going to marry this guy, going to sit up home and have goats out the back and chickens and a veggie garden and going to have a baby and going to have a family. All very predictable and domestic. And then an angel comes and lobs in a grenade. You know, uh, you will bear a son. He will be the most son of the Most High. His kingdom will never end. And her life is totally upended totally blown away. The point is, God moves in on very ordinary people. He kind of demands a response that, that changes their lives. And this morning, uh, I just want to look at one more character like that from the New Testament. And I want to look at what happens when, when Jesus himself, not an angel even, but God the Son, comes to a person and breaks in and interrupts their well-worn flow of their lives. And I want to look at this because here at the beginning of 2019, Jesus is still coming to us, all right? Every one of us, Jesus comes to you. He comes to you. And how we respond to him will shape not just our year, but maybe shape our whole lives as a result. So um, this could be a big subject for some people this morning because it may affect your life. So I'm going to pray and we'll ask God to speak to us, shall we? Let's do that. Let's continue to ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you so much that you're here and that you've already been speaking. Lord, you've been speaking about big things, things beyond our scope or scale. 
Father, I praise you. You're talking about a dam bursting, about your spirit flooding. And Lord, we, we, we say, come, continue to speak to us now, Lord Jesus. We want to respond to you as you come to each one and interrupt our well-worn paths in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so let's, um, just as we turn to Luke chapter 5, uh, I see that uh, Dominic Todd and Ali are here, and uh, some of us haven't actually congratulated you yet for your wedding. So let's all put our hands together. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't let that go by. I just suddenly saw you guys there. And, uh, anyway, sorry, we, we, our, our character, our character. Right, let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to Luke with me. And uh, we're going to look at our character. It's only a short little passage, so I want you all to join in. And we'll all speak out the verses here, okay? So here are the verses. Verse 27 to 28. Let's all join in. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. All right, ever so short, very simple, but has so much of what we're talking about today. I mean, the, the mere fact that Levi is a tax collector sitting in his booth tells us a lot about his own well-worn paths and the life he lived. Uh, as most of you will know, a tax collector back then was not a very popular person to be. Anybody here this morning work for the IRD? Anybody? Okay, that's okay. Because if there was, I would say, you're still not popular. No, I wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> I'd say it's a, it's a respectable job, and it is. It's a wonderful, respectable job these days, but, but not back then. Back then, if you were a tax collector, most decent Jews would look down on you uh, as scum of the earth because, in effect, you'll be looked on as working for the enemy. All right? Remember, Judea was, was occupied territory. The Roman armies were marching through and controlling and crushing and, and harshly treating everybody. Well, who paid for the occupying army? It was the locals. They had to pay taxes to support it. And who collected the taxes? It was Levi and his mates. And Levi would also add his own cut on top of that quite happily. And so he was not a popular person. It wasn't a popular job. Now, now that doesn't mean he was unhappy or on his own. In fact, if you read a bit further on, you find that he has many tax collector friends, like an underclass of some kind. In fact, we read later that there are tax collector parties. I don't know what a tax collector party looked like. Uh, it doesn't sound much fun, but, but there you go. Tax collector parties. The point is, in all of this, Levi had his own well-worn paths, his own lifestyle. No doubt he got up the same day every morning, said goodbye to the wife and kids, and uh, went down to the market and set up the booth, which would have been a small booth, set it up, got out his paperwork and everything else, and got down the books and got his pens out, got his scales out, and then began to wait for the first customer, the first unhappy customer to come before him. All right, It was not thrilling, but it was life until one day, and I love to imagine this, there's Levi sitting at his books and he's kind of shuffling his papers. One day he hears someone say those words, follow me. Follow me. Now that word follow is a big word carries a sense of cost and challenge in it, but it's one phrase. 
follow me. And the incredible thing is, and I'm still baffled by it, he does. He does. Amazing. After so many years on the job, same booth every day, life is comfortable, the paths are worn, and yet at that one command, he puts his pen down, he shuffles out from behind the booth, he stands up out of the little the, the world he was in, and he follows this man. And straight away, I don't know about you, but I can't help asking the question, the big question, and it's this. What did Levi see? Right, what did he see? As he looked at this man, what did he see? Because the fact is, if somebody came around to your place tonight and knocked on your door and said, follow me, well, you wouldn't give them the time of day. What did Levi see that made him totally obey immediately? Immediately. Leave everything behind, every well-worn path, all he's known. Because he does, he really leaves everything behind. We know later on that Levi becomes one of the 12 disciples. He becomes one of that band who for the rest of his life, he's going from town to town, village to village, country to country, proclaiming the gospel, teaching in churches, sometimes persecuted and beaten, targeted and, and hated, hungry and thirsty. And then in some far-off future, we know this if church tradition is true, in some far-off place near Ethiopia, he dies for the faith. So his life is totally changed. What did he see? That's the question this morning. You see, I put it to you this morning that what you see when you think about Jesus is critical. A.W. Tozer once said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's true. What Levi saw changed his life forever turned it completely upside down. And I guess if I have a concern at the beginning of 2019, it's that we, when we think about Jesus, when we talk about him, when we pray in his name, when we sing songs to him, my, 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 when we see him, if you like, in quotes, my concern is we see him less clearly than he really is. My concern is that when we consider Jesus, it's a bit like we're looking through glasses or spectacles and the glasses aren't very good. And they're clouded over by our 21st century culture. In other words, they're actually more a reflection of our own self-centered culture than the truth. That's my concern. And so our picture of him isn't that clear. Look, I've got a quotation to share with you this morning, and I really hesitated about sharing it because it can come over a little bit harsh. And uh, you know me well enough to know that's not me. I'm not a harsh person. But I'm going to put the quote out there. I'm going to trust that you'll see what it's really saying. It's from a quote by a guy called Dave Ferguson and his book, Being Open to the Spirit. So hold on to your hats. Here's the quote. The Jesus to whom the Spirit introduces us is bound to disturb us. We have developed a habit of making Jesus nice, but Jesus doesn't play nice. The people who crucified Jesus Christ, never to do them justice, accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have very efficiently 
pared the claws or taken out the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. That's a harsh quote, isn't it? Harsh quote. But, but don't miss what it's saying, especially that last little line there. We, our culture, has very efficiently pared the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. In other words, we've shrunk him. That's what it's saying. We've shrunk him. We've domesticated him. We've taken away his claws. We've made him into a pet. That's what it's saying. And I guess my concern is I think about our church culture, we can also do that. We can shrink him more and more. He is simply becoming, you know, Jesus my pal or, or Jesus my best mate or Jesus my bro or, or, or Jesus who understands my every sensitivity. Now listen, he is all of that, right? <laughs> he is all of that. Jesus is your friend. He is your brother, if you are a son or daughter of God. He does understand all you go through. But he is far more than that. He is far more than that. And Levi saw far more than that when he saw Jesus. And we know that because by this time, Levi had already encountered Jesus. All right, Jesus is already famous by this point. He's been moving among the towns and villages of Judah. It says back in chapter 5 that he was gathering such large crowds, thousands on the shore, that he had to step into a boat and preach from the boat. So many people were coming to him. And it's amazing, when Jesus appears, it's like a, a bolt out of the blue. One day, nobody knows him about him at all. The next day, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like everybody knows him. We're told this, that he's healing the sick. Now, don't lose the power of that, right? In a, in a nation where, where everybody's sick, it's a third world country, everybody's ill, where the life expectancy is only 35. Everybody's sick. There are no hospitals. And here's Jesus bursting onto the scene, and he's touching everybody, and they're being healed. It was a bolt out of the blue. And he's casting out demons. He's taking on the very... Works of darkness, demonic oppression, which had crushed the people of God for centuries. Jesus is casting it out and destroying it. He is like no one they've ever seen before. And Levi is also aware of what Jesus is proclaiming by now. Already back in chapter 4, we're told that Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, now, now what is that? Well, it's really this. It's God has come back to his people and brought the kingdom along with him. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet. That means freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, the oppressed being set free, and the year of the Lord's favor has finally come. Hallelujah. So going back to Levi that day, as Levi hears that voice, what did he see? Listen, he was already witnessing the king of glory. He was already witnessing him, the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming king prophesied about centuries before has finally stepped onto the earth. That's what he saw. As a guy called N.T. Wright says, he says this, a new state of affairs had been brought into existence. A door had been opened that nobody can shut. 
Jesus is now the world's rightful Lord, and all other lords are to fall at his feet. Hallelujah. That's what Levi, however imperfectly at this stage, was beginning to see. God's king was before him. And on the basis of that, Levi left his well-worn paths and gave his life to him. Now, now at this point, we can think, well, look, if only Jesus stood before me like he stood before him, then I would leave everything and follow him too. But can you see what Levi saw that day is still less than what you and I now know to be true? Amen? Because listen, if Jesus was to stand before you now, he'd appear very different from the man Levi saw. You want to know what he'd look like now? Well, we turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 1, when John turned around and saw Jesus as he is now. And John says this, he says, I saw him dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white, like wool as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. The voice, sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Let me tell you, if Jesus stood before you like that, that's where we would be too. He is the ascended king. He would rock us in his glory. I still remember many years ago, we were doing some outreach with some young people on the street. And uh, there was a conference on at the time. And we, we didn't know what to do with these teenagers, really. They were larking around, they were drinking a bit. And we said, well, let's bring, them to the, let's bring them to the conference. Can't do them any harm. And so we did. There was about, oh, five or six of these teenagers. And we brought them into the conference hall. There were probably two or three thousand in the conference hall. And we brought them in. And uh, sure enough, they started clowning around and acting up. And the worship started. And they were throwing things at people. And I thought, why did we bring them? And then suddenly, halfway through the worship, totally unexpected, it was, like, it was like God entered the room. It was like a sense of his holiness and power began to move down row after row after row. You sense people shrieking and demons being exposed and people getting healing, healed and chairs going over as mayhem as the Spirit of God began to sweep down the hall. Hairs on the back of my neck rose and I thought, God is in the room. And I remember looking at these kids and their faces had gone white. As the Jesus that they had despised, suddenly by his spirit he was there and it rocked them. Let me tell you, that's only a glimpse of what John must have seen that day. Wow. Jesus has ascended now. He reigns at the right hand of God. He's extending his kingdom power across the earth. And this king who holds all things together, who spun the stars out into space, who went to the cross for you and for me, is here before you by his spirit. It's he who now says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. He is truly a king. Hebrews 1 says, he upholds and sustains all things by his power. Colossians says that all things are existed uh, through him uh, and by him. 
other words, he sustains all things. Even the heart that beats in your chest right now is only beating because God is sustaining you. And it still amuses me to think of the atheist who shakes his fist at God and says, I don't believe in you, can only do that because God is enabling him. And when he says, follow me, when Jesus says, follow me, look, what does he really mean? Well, really what he means is simply this. He's really saying, reorientate your life around him. Put the center of your life on him. Put the focus on his will. That's what it really means. And I think it's very different from how we often live, isn't it? Because remember, we're living in our well-worn paths. Our tax collector's booth, the world that we're in, where we, we order things. Everything's focused on us, and, and it's safe, and, and as normal as we can have it, and it reflects our preferences. Where everything is focused on me, my ambition, my comfort, my desires. It's how we live. In fact, some would say that when we talk about God, it's more like, rather, we following him. It's Jesus, you follow us. You come into my tax collector's booth. You, you help me as I do my thing. Come into my little world. Come and help me be happy in it. But no, the real call here is follow him. Too often, our, even our sense of the will of God is focused on us. There's a lovely famous quote by Henry Blackaby. I've used it before. He says this, What is God's will for my life is not even the best question to ask. I think the right question is simply, What is God's will? Once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to him and his purposes. In other words, what is it that God is purposing? Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God and his purposes, not my life. Can you hear what it's saying there? In the beginning of 2019, it's not Jesus, what is your will for my life, my tax collector's booth. It's simply, what is your will? Lord Jesus, what do you love? What are your concerns? What are your priorities? Jesus, what is your passion? And to be honest, it's not hard to find. You see, what does Jesus love? Well, <laughs> he loves the person in front of you. He loves the person beside you, the rejected one. He loves the poor, the one who struggles. He loves the lost. He loves his church. Jesus, in 2019, what are you doing? I will throw myself into that. And that's a very courageous prayer to pray. It's like saying, Lord, I'm coming out of my tax collector's booth, the little world that I've grown up in, and I'm stepping into your world. I'm stepping out of the rock pool that I've been playing in and I'm stepping into your ocean. It's a very courageous prayer to pray because he will take you at your word and you don't know what he will do with you and where he will take you. Hallelujah. It's the beginning of 2019. Let's give our lives afresh to our king on his terms, not ours. Amen. As we do so, we walk in the footsteps of the apostles. As we do so, we leave our little tax booth behind us and walk into his great purposes. I want to challenge you this morning to pray a prayer like that and mean it with all your heart. Amen? Amen. 
Let's stand, shall we? Let's just stand. Hallelujah. Let's consecrate ourselves to Jesus. That word's been used a lot recently. What that means is we are holding him and his will as sacred. We're aligning our lives to his purposes and what he is passionate for. How will we respond? Jesus comes to each one of us and says, follow me. Let's just forget about the person next to us for a moment and just stand before God right now at the beginning of 2019. New year, whole year is laid out before you. You don't know what it will hold. You may have your own expectations and plans. Jesus comes to each one of us still and says, follow me. The king who holds your breath in his hands says, follow me. Maybe you're standing there and you've never consciously asked Jesus into your life at all. You never thought about turning your life over to him. Well, the Jesus who keeps your heart beating is standing before you by the Spirit. The King who holds eternal life in his hands and offers it to you says, come, follow me. What will you do with what he says? You've never turned your life over to Jesus. I plead with you to do it now. At the beginning of the year, turn it over to him. Until you do, then you're like a cork bobbing around on the waves of the ocean without direction and without hope. And for all of us, the rest of us, he stands before us. Some of us, if we think about it, we've, maybe we started well, but we've kind of let things drift. We found ourselves back in the tax collector's booth. We didn't intend to, but life got on top of us. Things pushed in, and we're just trying to keep our heads above the sea and we're trying to get the kids through school and trying to pay the bills and we find ourselves back in the tax collector's booth. Jesus says to you, come, follow me. Come, follow me. See what I'll do with your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's hear the call again. Let's allow him to speak into us again. Come, Follow me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we say we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you left the majesty of heaven and walked the dusty roads of ancient Israel. And you called out individuals here and there and said, follow me. And they did. And their lives were forever changed. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you still come to us by your Spirit. Wow, to be included in that invitation to follow you. Thank you, Lord. To no longer walk in futility, but now to walk in purpose, true, eternal purpose. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, at the outset of this new year, we want to say, oh Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, as a church, we want to follow you. As individuals, Lord, we want to follow you. 
please, Lord, come and have your way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In case you needed convincing, God's been with here with us from the beginning of the meeting. His sense of his presence has been here. For Levi that day, his life forever changed. All hinged on how he respond to the invitation, follow me. I just feel that there are some here at least where God is saying, your life will be transformed as you respond to this invitation. Your life will be changed as you turn your life over to me. Some of you are desperate for that. There are some here who are thinking, well, I'm sick of being in a tax collector's booth. I'm worn out with the same old, same old. I'm tired of mediocrity. I want a new beginning. And if that's you this morning, then now is your time, now is your moment. Respond to him. Some of you have been Christians for decades. There may be one or two here who aren't even Christians now. But Jesus says the same thing to both. Follow me. Thank you, Jesus. There's a song that uh, Jeff's going to lead us in now. I don't know what it is, but he'll do it, I'm sure. But please, can I ask you to use that song as an opportunity in your heart to say, Lord, I'm following you. And for some here, that act of following, there was a point where Levi had to get up get out of his seat, walk out from behind that little tax collector's booth and take one foot after the other and follow him. For maybe some here, you will need to do that this morning. It's not about coming to the front so much as simply putting one foot in front of the other and saying, that's me, I'm following Jesus. I'm stepping out of the old world and I'm stepping into the new. And if that's you this morning, I would urge you to do it now. As we sing this song, if you know you need to draw a line under the past, and it's a new beginning, then you put one foot in front of the other. There's room down the front here. You're not coming to me or anybody else, but you're coming to Jesus. We'll gather around you and pray with you. Ask God to bless you, meet with you, launch you afresh into 2019, and have his way, his will in your life. Let's sing that song, shall we, Jack? Thank you. As he sings, if that's you, it's a step of faith for all of us who want to follow. But there are some here particularly, and you know it's you because your heart is beating fast. And you know in your heart, I want to follow.